Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Yair Elzar Glotman, and we're primarily talking about his score for Reptile, the recent Netflix crime thriller mystery film. And Yair's score is intentionally quite abstract, quite textural, with little homages to more classic noirs. You might be most familiar with Yair, actually, through his collaboration with Johan Johansson on the experimental film Last and First Men, on which he co-composed the score with Johan. And now, unfortunately for you all, we don't really get too much into that. While, of course, it's something that's interesting for me and maybe a lot of you, I wanted to focus this more on Yair and his work instead. I'm sure you get it. Now, along the way, of course, we talk about various other concepts, ideas, looping into and out of his score for Reptile. Now, I do want to give a little bit of warning or advance notice. There were a couple issues with Yair's audio, so that's why this interview is a bit short, and you will hear some garbled moments, although I've tried to make sure that everything was easy to hear and understand. Of course, you can find out more about Yair, his website on social media, you can do the same for me, and it looks like the end of 2023 is going to be quite busy. I have, I think, three more interviews coming out, all going to be great, so keep those ears open, and in the meantime, sit back and enjoy. Yair, thank you so much for joining me today, how have you been? I'm good, thanks for having me, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm sure this has been a busy time for you. You know, Reptile, the latest film you uh, you scored just came out, I guess as of right now, about two, two and a half weeks ago. And then it seems like you're always working on other music, whether it's related to film or solo music collaborations. I saw you just released a remix of a track from, um, was it Rand Slavin? Like, I don't know, yeah. a week, a week and a half ago. So is there ever a time where you, you stop or are you always going... I guess like the way I think about music in my life and my trajectory is, is such a like a long arc, like a marathon, you know, it's always stem from research and, and from rehearsals and, you know, once in a while you get the perk of, of sharing what you do with the rest of the world, whether it's through albums or soundtrack or installation work, but I constantly researching and also like composing and, and learning new stuff. So. It's always ongoing, uh, whether I release stuff or it's a uh, time for more research. When, and when you're talking about research, what sorts of things are you talking about? Like I, I saw, for instance, a an interview you'd done recently where you're, you're mentioning having an interest in spectralism. And for me as a relative layman, looking into that, it seems like some entirely different world of thinking about music so is it along those lines or is it the different instruments electronics things like that or just across the board i think it's really across the board for me i could be shifting my focus constantly depends on stuff that i find inspiring and those are non-linear this is not necessarily only researching harmonic progression you know analyzing pieces or researching uh, different recording techniques it's, it's really about what i find inspiring and sometimes you dive into playing um, a specific instrument learn all about it for i don't know maybe four months and then i'll jump to something else 
I, I find those different kind of tools are really, sometimes I feel like it's really like a not, it's non-linear. It's, it's almost like going sideways, but I always find it uh, inspiring and it's always just uh, another tool in my toolboxes. Sometimes maybe four or five years down the line, instrument that I research and practice mm. for a couple of months will come in handy. You never know what later down the line would be useful or interesting. So I try to kind of treat my curiosity with, with respect. And every time I get curious with a certain elements to really allow myself to dive and to follow my intuition, not being um, judgmental, not to be oriented with the result necessarily of like, what would be the point of me focusing on this very specific, I don't know, esoteric composer for a couple of months, analyzing his pieces. It's not necessary. This would result in something very tangible right now, but maybe later it's more about like trying to find inspiration in different ways as well, but basically trying to keep busy and realizing that, um, yeah, this idea of inspiration and muse is really comes for me from this daily practice of always having something to do and kind of showing up to the studio and treating it with seriousness as like work in a way I'm doing work, whether it's paid work, maybe it's commercial, maybe it's my own artistic practice, but it's really important. So I'm, I'm always trying to kind of actively harvest for interesting elements for, for me to dive into. You mentioned that some of that might not come up for or a use for it for you might not come up for months or years. But I imagine that sort of thing has to be helpful when you're composing for film, because in a lot of ways, it's not like you necessarily know the project you're going to be working on, or even when you jump onto a new project, what that palette, what that approach is going to be. Exactly. Uh, I think this approach really solidified for me once I started composing for film, because before that, I was also thinking a lot uh, about the idea of sticking with one element and really diving, you know, this like really kind of honing on one specific thing. And, you know, sometimes I was all, also like uh, critical to myself. I played an instrument for, for basically all my life since I was a kid, but I constantly changed my focus, whether it's moving from jazz into classical and every once in a while, you know, I'll, I can look into um, the past that I went through and see, I don't know, friends and colleagues that just stayed on a straight line and how accomplished, how far they got. And sometimes before I started composing for film, I, I also was a, a bit more critical to myself that I always kind of follow like a, a different line and, and not a very straight line. And only when I started composing for film, all those different elements suddenly became in handy, whether it's the fact that I played in orchestras, the understanding orchestration or how string players playing about articulations, about bowing, or the fact that I was doing a lot of electroacoustic compositions, understanding engineering and recording, all of those all of a sudden clicked and became really helpful for understanding film composing, which is such a complex on a technical level sometimes, but it has also, it's such a multifaceted job in a way you know you're ahead of the department in, in a way but you also work with so many people obviously collaborating with the filmmaker and the, all the post-production people but you also you really need to think about what you do as a collaborative 
effort. And um, I think that film composing, there is also like a lot of aspects which are not so kind of musical and sexy, whether it's like keeping a budget, uh, keeping deadline, keeping track of file management. File management is huge topic <laughs> in film composing when when project gets like inflated and you you are across different hard drives so things which are also like like i said much more mundane and boring and and but <laughs> organization it's it's another aspect of film composing so you never know so what the project needs beforehand and and for instance with the reptile a lot of what ended up being the main kind of sound palette was drifting away more and more from what would be my kind of like my comfort zone or my go-to sound sources and stuff like that. So it's nothing that you could prepare. You know, you could be invited to score a film, but you need to always be open to explore and also support the director and, and support the, the narrative and the film. And that also sometimes means to, to really jump into like totally different territories but being open to explore. I think this is a good approach. And on that note with Reptile, when you first came out of the project, what what were those initial conversations with the director Grant Singer like? We spoke a lot about music, also just as music fans. Grant is uh, a director who, who did many music videos, working with amazing artists, really big names. And, and he's also just a music fan. He has a good understanding of music all across from various uh, genres and various times also just geeking about different kind of music i kind of also realized what is his approach for music what would be the role of music in the film and once i realized that he's really focusing on on the feeling yeah it's it's supporting a specific kind of feeling and deception and slightly more ambiguous ideas and and which is much more um, abstract compared to support a narrative in a more animated way, I realized that uh, I am interested to, to focus on how to support those and to really solidify and, and get precise on reveal that specific feeling. And there is also a slowly feeling of things getting nearer, things closing in on, on the Nichols, the main character played by Benicio del Toro. So I think realizing that in a murder mystery also, you need to be careful of how much of your cards you reveal. There are a lot of this idea of, of people keep on changing. Your point of view as a viewer is, is like a dynamic thing. You constantly change your feeling towards different characters. So I was choosing much more abstract materials in terms of um, whether it's from the instrumentation, whether it's the harmonic content that I chose to use, but this idea of ambiguity that things could be viewed in different directions and there is not a very like one clear, this is good or bad or, or something you constantly, um, kind of being confronted with more question marks. Nothing is really clear. And were both of you kind of on, on the same page with having, let's call it like a more abstract textural approach to how you were scoring it rather than something, say, more uh, more melodic, more overtly thematic? Grant uh, was also referring to a lot of uh, his favorite film, whether it's Vertigo or, or like The Shining, you know, Penderecki, uh, the composer, and materials from those. 
the sound and the music are not necessarily so thematic. So they're almost like an event. They're like very apparent in the film, but they're, they're almost standing by themselves. They support the visuals, obviously, but they're not necessarily traditional in their way of, of supporting the, the film. There was a lot of kind of hinting towards, you know, also the fact that we end up using a string ensemble, which recorded like a string orchestra. It was also kind of speaking certain languages, speaking, referring to certain classic Bernard Herrmann and Hitchcock scores, and uh, but in a very kind of deconstructed way. I was thinking a lot about how to kind of deconstruct those type of familiar scores. Jokingly, I was thinking about like a vapor lever of those old school scores of, of kind of like something is uncanny and slowed down and uh, something that you feel is very familiar and maybe nostalgic at pieces. It's been transformed and something about it is odd or something about it is, is kind of unsettling. And does that kind of fit into the idea of, of the film itself being a modern styled film noir in some ways, where again, you're, you're taking this genre that existed, let's say, 30s, 40s, 50s in its heyday and having some homages, but also a, a kind of a modern twist or feel of it? Yeah, that's, that's a good vision. It was really good cinematography and playing and I think it's very well aware of, of inspiration and, and paying homage to those great films but in a way that was an, a way to differentiate it and to try to explore how would you make a, a current film noir aware of itself but how, how can you do it in an interesting different way and I think the film itself has, has also this feeling of in a way, the filmmaking is, is aware of itself and, and there are certain elements of it, which is also even humorous and also a lot of the usage of the music, the placement and the blending of, of the music with sound design and the positioning where things starts, where things stops, is very different from those old films. But yeah, it was very much uh, nodding to a lot of the originals. You mentioning having humorous aspects as well there's there's one moment that genuinely cracked me up where it's sort of building into these twists and turns as if there's going to be a big reveal does a close-up on benicio del toro he's on his computer and you have this piercing stinger and it goes to this computer and he's looking up faucets it's a rare thing i think to allow the the music to kind of tell the punchline alongside especially in a film that's not overly a comedy either. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is one of my favorite moments of film, and and like I say, this kind of usage of music is kind of like the thing that I think creates a different dimension. And what I mentioned before is this kind of like self awareness that I think mm. is is subtle. You could also perceive this film as also very sincere, which is also in the film making. But I think this kind of like slightly self awareness, I think, is important. I want to jump back to something that you were saying a, a few minutes ago. I think the the common, I guess, idea or dialogue is that film music is, is really based off of romantic 19th century music. And yet, this is now the, the third of the last four interviews I've done, where someone's mentioned Pendereski, Bartok, Ligeti also coming up quite often. And I think, at least for me, hearing that so much in 
different composers, different styles, different films, and how those composers, that those eras also have a big impact. I mean, do you think that the idea of romance music being the influence on film music is maybe something that's, I don't know, a little outdated or you know, not completely true? I don't know. I think it's those things are probably are like a cyclical things. But, you know, when you think about Penderecki and, and, and Bartok and all those, yeah, you think about slightly later. I mean, obviously they were 20th century composer. I mean, not with, so maybe it's just a question of, of timing, you know, maybe in like, I don't know how many years people will nod into electronic scores. I don't know, like a mm. Trent Reznor score and revisit those. But uh, I think the fact that Penderecki is being used compared to or like more serialist composers, I think that there is such a big focus on the sonics and Andretsky's instrumentation and conducting the playing of those pieces that is very cinematic and very much focused on the sonics and almost the textures of, of the playing is more yeah in line with current or contemporary composing where it's about the sonics a bit more than I'd say like a 12th row serialist composers, you know, that were in the same slightly earlier. But um, in that sense, I think the modern way of composing, which is, I don't know, augmented by the usage of electronics, but not necessarily electronic composition or electronic scores. I think just like the way that you could keep on manipulating sounds. And I think also the interesting different or paradigm shift in composing is also that uh, a performer can compose a full piece. Like a performing composer is an interesting development in the sense that I, as a composer, can fully realize my own vision, my own sonic vision, and I don't necessarily need to rely on an orchestra in order just for me to experiment with those sounds. Obviously, film scores are using musicians and, and orchestras, but I think this approach is change for instance i worked with Jan and johansson on a couple of projects but one was collaboration before he passed and which i finished after his passing i was the last and first man there was the focus of in a way taking an orchestral score and finding a way to kind of scale it down or, or getting closer to the musician and reveal more the fragility of the playing of the materiality of the instrument compared to a big string sounds, string ensemble, string section sound. And I think the fact of using electronic means and computers, and we were able to also like scale down this whole piece and, and really focus getting a very big sound just from using single players by getting closer, by recording, focusing on close micing and realizing also when you get close to the sound source, you could really have much more complex and much more, almost like a fuller spectrum. You could really have a lot of information in one instrument when you have the right perspective. You don't necessarily need like 40 players of the same instrument or something. Just multiple perspectives. Even with Rafael, even when we did go and recorded the string set uh, players, after uh, mixing them, I, it was really important for me to also have a parallel elements or kind of mirroring the same materials from the strings, but have much more raw 
materiality to them, more textual elements, more imperfect aspects and more chaotic aspect to it. And when they're blend together in a certain way, that creates kind of like a hybrid sound for something relatively more complex or more new. And because obviously you hear strings and it's such a familiar sound, you have a very endless uh, associations and references, but something that creates a different perspective, a different dimension on it was always something that is inspiring to me. Yeah, I don't know if this answers any question or whether it was a question. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like associative talking. <laughs> it, it answers some and I think raises even more. But on that note, mentioning that strings in, in Reptile, you said there's a string ensemble used. And basically anyone that is familiar with music at all, like you said, will have some association with, with it generally. But then when you do different recording techniques or do various electroacoustic techniques on these strings, I imagine that it kind of creates a, I don't know, a, maybe a sense of confusion or ambiguity on the listener or the viewer where there's something that's still familiar to them, but something unfamiliar about it. And the average person is not going to have any idea as to why that's the case. It's all can be on a very subconscious level. I think music in generally is being perceived in a visceral and emotional level. I think for me, it's always interesting point of focus to aim to that receptives compared to, let's say, the brain of like analyzing what it is that you hear. And I think working a bit with more abstract process, you know, it could be forms open forms, not like working with song structures, familiar song structures, or it could be working with abstract textures or electroacoustic composition techniques. It's just a mean to kind of get to slightly more, uh, sometimes neutral fields or area where you don't have so much association and references. And then you, you talked about strings and how familiar they are. I think for a long time in my focusing and making music. I was always trying to focus on, on those spectral and textural element of sound music and still being able to get into a very emotional results and with references, whether it's, you know, like a melody, thinking about melody as, as like as bass recognition is like, you hear a melody, you latch onto it, you cannot hear it, you cannot unsee the whatever you form into a facial expression. And and I think sometimes when you see that the focus goes to that and you miss a lot of the subtleties and, and the elements mm -hmm. which happens in, in between. But nowadays I'm much more interesting interested about employing all these kind of complex materials and using familiar elements, whether it's melodic elements or the harmonic or the instrumentation where it's like a string ensemble, but almost like hide inside all this other aspect, like as a Trojan horse inside of it, of this kind of complexity, which I'm not interested in anymore. You know, it's, it's more about like, if it affects it on a subconscious level, I'm happy about that. I think emotions generally are such a like a non-verbal, I think, you know, the verbalization of functions and, and obviously it happens text and film is primarily also text, but a lot of it is, is feeling, you know, and everything can affect the feeling, the lighting, the way the film is shot, the way I think about music and sound is, is like, uh, 
this kind of abstract, nonverbal element of sound, but it can hit a specific emotion, which is really hard to verbalize. It's really, I feel like sometimes trying to talk about emotions or, or specific feelings, you, once you start to talk about them, you miss, you slip in between the, it's hard to really put your finger on top of them. And, and I like to think about music as something that could really touch those complex really slippery things to, to get a hold onto. I think definitely working with all of those, now being aware of what is familiar, but not familiar, what is complex, what is not just trying to build this, like I said before, like a trend horse, bring all those kind of slightly more, I don't know, academic field or, or elements that are much more coming from experimental music scene or something and find a way that it will be accessible for everyone to be perceived, whether they know what those reference or not. For me, it's just another tool to kind of get more precise on, on that thing that I'm after. And I think that's a good point as well of, at least if it's someone who's watching it in the moment, trying to spend time to figure out or to understand exactly what the music is doing or missing the complexities and thinking it's oversimplified, whereas especially in the context of the picture, it's really, you know, whatever that visceral reaction, emotional reaction you have is is what's really important. You know, I've I've listened to some power electronics, for instance, and it just makes me feel so nauseated. I have no idea what they're doing. It trying to understand it almost reveals the process and ruins it. It's it's Whatever you feel in that, that first time you hear a, a note, a timbre, whatever that makes you react is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's special. And I, I think trying to understand too much, at least at the time, is kind of self-defeating. Yeah, I, I think also the interesting thing about scores and soundtrack albums in general is that like when you watch a film, the music is, is a big aspect of it, but it's not the main point of focus. And a lot of the time, it registered people mind how the music made them feel, whether they like the music or not. But it's such a thing that has a, a full context that I do like the what happens to the cores when they are being just used as, as an album, being taken out of context. Even though obviously, if you see the movie, you have feeling, have the narratives. But in a way, it's a way of a composer also to solidify. The language of the score, you know, sometimes music, obviously in film, getting buried behind sound effects mm -hmm. or dialogue. So in a way, when someone is watching a film and either listen to the soundtrack album, the soundtrack album becomes the memory of the music. And I think it's an important aspect. And I do think it's important also for me to build a piece of narrative that works on itself musically as an album. You know, even if someone can listen to that without watching the film and could have, get something out of it, when you treat your soundtrack album releases with this uh, goal in mind, you're able to maybe tie it more into your own artistic practice as well. This is something I see more involved with film composer, you know, even speaking about Yarn, you know, this story, I think it opens that definitely yeah. point of view for me where is solo albums and scores who are like they're all valid parts of his uh, like outputs they have this kind of like conversations in between them in between the kind of soul work and then the scores and they all feed back and forth and also changes uh score can change later uh your solo album and then the next solo album you do can 
affect your next course. So I think that's a really interesting perspective on it and, and one that I kind of appreciate where it's almost furthering your artistic ownership of the music rather than just here's every cue that was in the film. Here's an hour and a half of music and it's all released. But unfortunately, Yair, I think we're running out of time. You have more important things, a one-month-old to take care of instead. So I appreciate your time chatting with me. It's a really interesting score, and I was listening to a lot of your other solo and collaborative work as well. All super interesting stuff, and I think from an intellectual perspective, it's nice to hear, read about, because it makes you think about music a little differently. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I, I like I said, having a one old, one month old baby means uh, <laughs> a lot of sleep. I think is like this conversation was much more associative for me, which I'm, I'm enjoying. So I'm enjoying also being more associative with my thoughts.